Hey, everybody. Dr. Josh Axe here. Uh, today on the podcast, we have Dallas Hartwig. He is the best-selling author of It Starts With Food, Whole30, and The Four Season Solution, his new book. And he really talks about the four keys to living well, including sleep, eat, move, and connect. He is also has his master's in physical therapy and is a certified sports nutritionist. Dallas, welcome uh, here to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, great. Well, I know we're going to talk about a lot today. We'll talk about using food as medicine. We'll talk about sort of your lifestyle practices. I know that you uh, are in, into fitness and I hope people gain a lot of knowledge today, again, of, of learning, really eating, uh, you know, using food as medicine, but also this sort of personalized food medicine and seasonal food medicine because you know, right. There's not one diet for everybody and certain diets people do better with or certain foods, certain times of year. So we're going to talk about a lot of stuff in regards to food, times of year, certain lifestyle practices seasonally. But um, anyways, man, excited to have you here. And hey, first share with us your journey. How, how did What sort of led you to write the books you've written, including Whole30 and now The Four Season Solution? Yeah, I mean, like so many practitioners, my uh, my journey was one of personal experience, trials and tribulations, finding solutions that work for me and wanting to share what worked for me, recognizing it's not what works for everybody. Um, and so, you know, my, um, my life story is kind of interesting because I started out, my parents were homesteaders in Ontario, Canada, and um, we lived without electricity and without running water till I was five. And so in terms of being connected to the seasons, right, relevant for this most recent book, um, that was ingrained into me right from the very beginning and always carried with me that sense of deep connection to the earth um, and the, the natural rhythms that occur there. And then I went on to, you know, grow up and go to school and, uh, you know, go to university and become a much more conventional. And the problem with that is that in becoming more conventional, I lost a lot of the natural oscillations, a lot, a lot of the natural rhythms that I was as a child so deeply connected to. And um, I played uh, competitive volleyball for much of my 20s um, while I was practicing physical therapy and maddeningly at the time um, had a really persistent shoulder irritation, shoulder inflammation um, that even as an orthopedic physical therapist, I myself couldn't figure out how to heal and um, stumbled across some dietary research linking systemic inflammation and um, you know, certain food proteins. And that was about 2006, 2007. And my world completely changed because I made some small dietary tweaks, totally resolved my shoulder inflammation within about six weeks. And that got my attention. And then I couldn't shut up about it. <laughs> um, so then I uh, started uh, speaking and later writing um, about food extensively and kind of dove into that. And I'm sort of the, um, the nerdy type who just loves to read research. And so then um, my first two books on food were uh, translations of what I had experienced and learned um, personally and also working with clients, um, trying to get people tools to make their own personalized changes. And um, here we are. Wow. I love it. Well, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've checked out some of your books in the past. Uh, you know, Whole30 obviously has been wildly popular. Uh, but, you know, in, in one of your, you know, your, your new book, one of the things you get into is not just, you, you talk about eating healthier, which I know we're going to get into. You also talk about uh, eating healthier to live healthier, just general living healthier. Walk me through kind of some in the new book and sort of this, what, what the premise is. Sure. So, 
I, I speak about the Four Seasons Solution kind of as the prequel to my first two books. Um, you know, the first book was called It Starts With Food and was intended to express just that. Like, it starts here. This is important. This is massively important. And it's only part of the story. So um, the Four Seasons Solution is an attempt to kind of give some big um, paradigm and structure and organization to my way of viewing um, living healthfully because health is, of course, our greatest wealth. It's, it's the foundation for all of the rich existence that we can have as humans, but it is just that foundational piece. And, you know, in my t almost two decades in healthcare and almost a decade in sort of public health education through writing and speaking, um, I've been frustrated and disappointed and saddened by how hard people work trying to figure out how to be healthy and how to cure and prevent chronic disease, et cetera. And it seems like there's so much conflicting information and confusion and misinformation that people spend a good chunk of time and a lot of their sort of emotional and psychological energy trying to figure this out, which kind of gets in the way of living. And um, so my passion is to give people simple, accessible, personalizable tools so that they can figure out what actually works well for them. And then they can go on with the rest of their lives. Um, so they can kind of get past the major hurdles and roadblocks and pain points of chronic disease. And which is why lifestyle medicine is the perfect starting point. Wow. I love that. I mean, you know, obviously, yeah, I, I, lo I love these principles. So walk me through, I mean, what, what are some of the steps we can take or things we need to do? I know, I mean, one of the things you talk about in your book is sleep, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a big deal. It's so overlooked. T t talk to me about, you know, us missing sleep. How much are we missing? What are the side effects? And then what, what, what do we need to do here? Right. So um, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I'm really glad that more of us are talking about the value of sleep. You know, a decade ago, even five years ago, far fewer people were recognizing how important sleep was. And um, it's come to our attention that we have not only sort of a national and international sort of sleep deficit, um, but more recently and through the research I did for this book, it sort of started to become clearer and clearer that it's not just about hours slept. You know, and there's research looking at um, primitive tribes and how much they sleep. And if you compare their sort of fragmented or biphasic sleep patterns to what we do in the modern world, it might not even look like we undersleep too dramatically. Um, but one of the things I say in the book is that it's a bit of an apples to oranges comparison because if we lived a relatively placid, peaceful, healthy, and oscillatory hunter-gatherer lifestyle, our stress levels on average would be relatively low. There are moments of sort of episodic intense stress, but for the most part, they're relatively low stress. And um, in this crazy, frenetic, overstimulated, stressful modern world, the need for deep restorative sleep is even greater. And so we have this, um, this real um, lack of deep restorative sleep, because as you know, sleep is not, you know, turn out the lights, go off and it's not an inert state that we're in um, until we wake up the next morning. It's a state where we do um, digestion, we have a complicated metabolic process, we do detoxification, like there's all of the, we, we, we restore our neurotransmitters. So there's this very deep healing and restorative component that we miss out on when we don't get enough sleep. And so in researching this more intensively for this book, um, myself and a colleague, Jamie Scott, really came to appreciate that actually What's missing in the modern world is not just enough sleep, but it's also enough time spent in darkness. 
because really our biological rhythms are closely linked to the light-dark cycle and are very much entrained by the presence of bright natural light. And then as it goes in evening and tonight, the absence of that bright light. So we recognize that the presence of blue light um, in particular really disrupts our ability to have a normal melatonin pulse and to kind of get into that deep restorative sleep mode. And so it's not just um, more sleep that's needed. It's not just more time in darkness that's needed, but it's also the increased presence of bright natural light, especially in the early and middle part of the day that triggers the, the synthesis of serotonin, which is later transformed into melatonin, which is one of the really powerful antioxidant hormones that then helps us get into this deep restorative sleep mode. So there's all of these different pieces along the way that add up to preparing us to do that restorative, restful, healing sleep that we need each evening, not just stay away from our smartphones for an hour before sleep and then think we've got sleep all buttoned up. So it's complicated, but it's simple um, in that sense. Yeah, well, share with me. So, so practically speaking, what are some people, things people can do to get better sleep? Is it, you know, do, does wearing sunglasses help? Is turning the TV off at a certain time? Getting You mentioned some of them, but give us the, yeah. the, the specifics for better sleep. Sure. I often say that, that good sleep starts first thing in the morning. And what I mean by that is um, we can entrain or coordinate all of the biological clocks, all of the circadian clocks in all of the different systems in our body by giving ourselves bright natural light close to sunrise time. And so ideally it's kind of within an hour of sunrise to, get to, to kind of synchronize all of those different clocks. And it doesn't take long. Sometimes five or 10 or 15 minutes is enough. Um, and it just really means getting bright natural light on our faces, in our eyes, not staring directly at the sun, but being outside under and in that bright light. And even if it's an overcast day, that's still enough light to coordinate and synchronize those circadian clocks. Um, when compared to the kind of light that we would get inside, even in a brightly lit space like a department store or a grocery store, it's not even close to the, the same amount of light and thus doesn't actually coordinate those circadian clocks. Um, another really important, so then, so then bright light first thing in the morning, five to 15 minutes, and then throughout the course of the day, exposure to more bright natural light is really, really important. So taking walks at, at uh, breaks and getting outside, I mean, we live indoors so much to tremendous costs, and one of the costs of that is that we impair our sleep. So um, getting a good, rich, uh, complete source of dietary protein at each meal, especially starting with breakfast, so that we have the building blocks for all of the neurotransmitters and hormones that we need, including melatonin later on in the day, um, because it helps stabilize our blood sugar. There's so many different reasons why that's an important lifestyle choice, but it does really help with our sleep, um, partly because it helps with our glycemic control. And then um, in later, later on in the day, avoiding caffeine, avoiding alcohol shortly before bed. Those are kind of the obvious ones. A lot of people know about wearing blue blocking glasses in the evenings or avoiding, you know, kind of putting your phone on a night shift or using a, a flux program on your computer screen, avoiding the, the electronic screens. Um, and I think that what we've missed with that is that we've reduced it down just to the presence or absence of blue light. And I think what's, there's more to that story there because there's also the psycho-emotional stimulus of, you know, watching a, a psychological thriller on Netflix or reading a really intensely emotional book even, even though there's not a blue light stimulus there, we have an arousing, stimulating neurological experience. And it's one of the reasons why I say don't check work, work emails right before bed, even if you're reading it on a screen that doesn't have much blue light, because there is this psychological, neurological arousal that happens that is the opposite of what we want to be sort of slowly tapering off as we go into the evening and prepare for sleep. 
And then the last thing, which is a really easy one, is develop a nighttime ritual, a little routine. And those of us who have kids, um, we know that our kids do really well with a bedtime ritual, a bedtime routine. And adults are no different. And we like to think that we're different, but we're no different. Um, so whether that is uh, a, a short meditation, whether that is tea, a short bit of reading, snuggling with a significant other or a pet, um, but having something that tells your nervous system, we are winding down, we are preparing for rest, we are safe, we are protected, we are comfortable, um, because that allows us to kind of put down the defenses and really get into that restorative sleep mode. Because sleep is obviously a very vulnerable place and we need to be able to actually relax and feel safe in order to fully restore ourselves during sleep. I love it. It's great advice. Sleep is huge. I just want to mention a few other things that made me think of too. You know, there are studies out there showing that if you get less than seven hours of sleep a night, your chance of coming down with a cold or flu or any illness goes up by three times. I mean, it's huge. And so sleep is a big deal from that standpoint. Also, you mentioned earlier, your body resetting itself, your neurotransmitters, detoxification. People can check this out online. If you simply do a a Google search for a Chinese medicine body clock. It's really fascinating to look at how your liver and gallbladder reset and detoxify and cleanse from 11 a.m. to around 3 or from 11 p.m. to around 3 a.m. at night. Your, your lungs and your colon detoxify from about 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. and so on and so forth. But anyways, there are very specific things I know in ancient Chinese medicine people did to sort of uh, get in tune with the circadian rhythms and the earth and in, in light and what you're talking about. So right. it's powerful, powerful stuff. You know, the first chapter in your book, I think is so fascinating. It's called beaten down by being normal. You know, I see, I, I did a consultation with a, there's a NFL quarterback. His wife is not feeling the best. And I did a consultation with her this week. And the big thing I kept hearing from her was overwhelmed. And I know when I ran my functional medicine practice, that's what I, in the past, that's what I saw so much of especially so many moms, but it's also just people in general just being overwhelmed. And as you're saying here in chapter one, just beaten down by being normal. I'd love to hear what you mean by that. And am I on to something? Is that what you meant in that chapter by being beaten down is we're overwhelmed and stressed out? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I use the word normal there a little bit tongue in cheek because of course, common and normal are different things. And so we think of normal as I'm busy, uh, I've got a busy schedule, I'm working hard, uh, you know, I might have a family that I'm taking care of, um, there's kind of being pulled in lots of different directions, and yes, feeling overwhelmed. And that's such a common experience that we think of it as normal, but that's not normal. That is common, and that is typical of the, the, the frenetic, overstimulating modern world, but it's not normal. And if we continue to behave in ways that are friends, families, colleagues, coworkers, um, neighbors all think are normal, we're going to end up feeling that same overwhelmed, overstimulated, exhausted, drained feeling. And in the book, I talk about um, seasons kind of as archetypes of experiences or symbols of experiences. And in the um, time of our lives where we are working hard, we're chasing career, we are raising families, like we're kind of in that go mode, kind of that summer stress, success, productivity kind of mode, um, we are in a bit of a, an overdrafted kind of state. We are putting out more energy of all kinds, whether it's metabolic, you know, energetic, emotional, psychological, like we're just, we're pouring ourselves out in the service of doing some big project, whether that is chasing a career or raising a family or whatever. And that's normal for a while. 
The problem is that we extend that summertime stress kind of pattern, what I call chronic summer. And we extend that out for season upon season, year upon year, decade upon decade. And then we arrive in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, feeling that same feeling we get at the end of the actual summertime of like, we've been up late, we've traveled a lot, we've been busy, we're ready for the days to get shorter, and we feel tired and overstimulated, and we're ready for the kids to go back to school, and we're ready for you know, the world to slow down a little bit, but the world doesn't slow down. And so that chronic summer experience is one that is indeed very common and even considered normal. But the problem is that that chronic summer behavior produces chronic disease. And what I mean by that is the behaving as if it's summertime of long days and short nights, meaning sleep restriction, lots of light and not enough darkness. The focus on um, carbohydrate rich and sugary foods as a kind of staple in our diet year upon year. The uh, either kind of um, sedentary uh, lifestyle or lifestyle that is having some general physical activity, but not necessarily a lot of, um, you know, strength building and high intensity uh, activity where it's kind of very low level for long periods of time. And the sensation in, and I write about connection, of course, in the four season solution as well. And the connectedness of summertime is of barbecues and neighborhood block parties and new people you meet at the beach and when you're camping and when you're on a road trip. And that's very much akin to the large numbers of superficial connections that we have on social media. So we live that year round as well. So all of that adds up to being overstimulated, overwhelmed by all of the demands on us. And ultimately, and tragically, it produces chronic disease. Yeah, I love it. It, it, it. It's a great point. It's interesting too. you know, you start off with that chapter and also get into sleep and that, you know, if, and I'm sure when I say this, people are going to realize this, but there's a reason why winter days are shorter, like there's less light and there's more light in the summer. You know, God created our universe set up like that. And our, our, our rhythm should be in tune with nature to where summer is made for staying up later. Like our body actually hormonally is set up to be able to handle um, less, a little less sleep, a, l- a little more light during that time of year. But in the winter, when it gets darker, you're supposed to be not completely hibernating like a bear would, but you're supposed to be uh, expending, you know, getting more sleep and more rest, mm-hmm. more time in contemplation, more time in meditation and prayer and, and thinking and more action in the summer. Like that's how we're wired. And, and that, you know, what you just said there and being overwhelmed and not in tune. I mean, these, these things connect so deeply together. I just, I love that. Um, another thing you really, I've heard you say is food doesn't have to be so hard. So, 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 so tell me what you mean by that. I'd I'd love to hear your food philosophy and also how how do you personally eat? Sure. So, um, my food philosophy, and of course, you know, many people know me for my work on food specifically with the whole 30 and the whole 30 is a 30 day short term personal diet, dietary experiment. It is, um, kind of balancing the foods that we've been eating for a very long time as humans and balancing that against the individual differences that we each have. So it's saying, here's a good starting point, here's a template, use this template, and then personalize that template to you know, what actually works best for you. So um, the Whole30 is a, just, an, just an attempt to give people a tool to figure out what works best for them. And it's been successful and influential and helpful to more people than I ever originally imagined. Like it's been a, such a beautiful thing to kind of watch it unfold over the years. But my, my food philosophy really is um, food should be uh, 
deeply nourishing, deeply satiating. Um, food should uh, respect the individual differences we have in our bodies and also the sort of collective human history where the foods that we've been eating for the longest time are the foods that are most likely to be the most well-matched to our genetics. So um, the, the um, kind of adaptive omnivorous diet that humans have been eating for hundreds of thousands of years um, is one of what foods were available locally and seasonally and some mix of meat and seafood and eggs and plant matter and fruits and nuts and seeds. Like it looks like a roughly paleo type diet, but not because somebody decided it was paleo or not. It's that because um, that's what we've been eating for the longest amount of time and we are the most well adapted to. So both my general dietary recommendations and my own personal diet look mostly like what I just listed. Yeah. And the, you know, it, it is simple and hard at the same time um, because the backbone of my everyday meals are meat and vegetables, you know? And that's not a huge steak at every meal. Sometimes I say meat and vegetables and people picture like a, almost a carnivorous kind of diet. Um, but it does recognize that the most complete dietary sources of protein usually come from animal products. And um, it's important to have those at each meal so that the total amount of protein you get throughout the course of the day meets your needs for um, supporting uh, you know, skeletal structures, you know, musculoskeletal um, integrity. Uh, it supports hormones and enzymes and all of the um, satiety signals that go into making us feel like, okay, we're well nourished now. And um, so I mentioned something called the protein leverage hypothesis in the book, which is essentially the idea that we will continue to uh, consume food until we've met our basic dietary protein needs. And if the foods we eat are relatively low protein, we will overconsume those foods to get that, to get that basic dietary protein met, uh, that need met. Um, so that's what I mean by food doesn't have to be super hard. Um, now, that being said, it is hard, it is difficult because the foods that are available to us, the ultra processed modern convenience foods are incredibly stimulating. They're incredibly delicious, right, in the salt, sugar, fat kind of way. Um, and they're not something that are deeply nourishing. So we have this mismatch between the cravings for sugar and salt and fat and um, the low nourishment foods that, um, that often show up at the corner store or um, you know, in our sack lunches at school. Wow. Hey guys, Dr. Axe here. If you're someone who's looking to transform the health of your skin, your gut, and actually hit your weight loss goals, I'm so excited to share my new book with you. It's called The Collagen Diet. This book will teach you how collagen helps you maintain and transform every area of your body, especially your hormones, your skin, and your metabolism and gut health. Also, I have a 28-day plan to transform your health. It comes with over 70 delicious recipes, a supplement guide, and goes into ancient remedies to heal. And hey, if you've already purchased the collagen diet, Thanks for being on mission with me. And hey, please, and I'd appreciate it if you go on Amazon.com and leave your review. Thanks again. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the way you eat, uh, Dallas, I mean, it's so similar to the way that I, you know, it's just, it's eating real food. You know, when Chelsea and I go to the grocery store, we're buying vegetables, we're buying fruits, we're buying meat, we're buying bone broth, we're buying, you know, that's... You know, these are the things yeah. we're buying. We're making amazing, like tonight we're going over to some friends of ours, Sean uh, Johnson East, East and Andrew East, and um, 
we'll uh, like tonight I'll make chicken parmesan. Nice. But, but, but you know, it's like we're buying organic chicken breasts. I'm using this sort of like coconut slash like, you know, grain flour that's, you know, super healthy. We'll do organic pastured eggs and, you know, and, and we'll probably do a little bit of cheese. We don't do it very often. I probably have cheese like once a month, but it'll be this buffalo mozzarella imported mm. from Italy. And so nice. it's, you know, and then we'll do tons of vegetables with it. You know, we're going to do the sauteed spinach and garlic and coconut oil and the whole thing. And, you know, anyways, all that being said, like you and I both know that food can also taste amazing. In fact, when you eat the way that we do, it tastes better mm-hmm. and your body loves it. So that's one of the other things I know as I've, you know, uh, read many of the recipes and gone through a lot of, uh, you know, reading the whole 30, you guys did such a fantastic job of, of hey, having, you know, real food, but also recipes and things that people can actually enjoy and love. Right. And so anyways, just want to encourage everybody to like, man, make food fun, you know, like make meals fun. Like Chelsea and I will do pizza nights, you know, we'll do this sort of cauliflower, actually Simple Mills is a brand has a great, you know, a grainless pizza crust. that's fantastic that you can make at home. And we throw on like fresh basil we get and, you know, and load it up with like these, we, 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 we saute up shiitake and maitake mushrooms. And so not to eat up this thing, but I just want people to get like, and you can make recipes taste fantastic. So food doesn't have to be so hard. It can be both right. easy and delicious. And I love that. Well, one of the things I can even see from just seeing you here, Dallas, is you're a fit guy. You probably move a lot. Talk about moving, you know, you, you tied one of these shoppers, moving to the rhythm. Mm-hmm. What, what, the, t- t- tell, tell me what's in that. Sure. So um, it's something I left out about food that I'll mention now and then I'll tie yeah, it into ahead. the movement. Um, one of the things that's also important with food is, is that um, because we are adaptive omnivores, because we're so good at surviving and even thriving on a wide range of different dietary strategies or dietary approaches, whether it is a low carb, high fat, paleo type diet, or whether it is a plant based vegetarian, vegan type diet, or whether it is a Mediterranean diet, like the commonalities there are really what you and I spoke about. Um, But I think that there's also an additional benefit, um, because it's what we've always had as humans, there's an additional benefit to having change to forcing our bodies to adapt to different types of dietary inputs. And so in the same way as we would uh, sleep at different sleep differently at different times of year. We should and could also eat differently at different times of year, and um, so the movement follows the same the same pattern. And in the summertime, you know, going to the park and throwing the frisbee for your dog, or going for a run, or riding your bike, or going swimming at the lake, or like just a wide range of outdoor activities for long amounts of time at a relatively low intensity is like the perfect natural thing that feels good for us in the summertime. And um, for most people, depending on where they live, that same pattern of being outside for four hours, six hours, eight hours a day in the wintertime doesn't feel as good, A, because there might be, it might be really cold and snowy if you live in a place that, that's like that. Um, and there's also a different part to it, too, that when the days are shorter and we want to be more contracted and more restful, doing huge amounts of physical activity doesn't quite match anymore. So the movement we would do in the, in the wintertime would look more like um, shorter, harder sessions and more, more focus on strength building. So you're building you know, muscle mass, muscle strength, bone density. Um, you're recovering really well from that training. And then maybe you're doing 
you know, one or two or three sessions a week of high intensity interval training, but the total amount of time and the total amount of energy expended is dramatically less. And that really well matches the type of fuel you would eat, the type of food you would eat in the wintertime. Because naturally, when you're eating seasonally, you have less of the sugary fruits and high carbohydrate vegetables, and you have more of the meat and fat, kind of lower carbohydrate foods that are available locally and seasonally. And so what the metabolic adaptations that, that happen with um, restricting carbohydrate just by virtue of eating different foods, not by going on a ketogenic diet per se, but just eating different foods that are available seasonally, those metabol metabolic adaptations perfectly match what happens when we go into a more um, intensity-driven and strength and power-focused training program. So we have this beautiful match there that isn't my invention. It's literally what's in our bodies. It is what is encoded into our DNA. And I think honoring those um, honoring those patterns can be really healing and restorative for us. And what that means is that the movement looks different at different times of year because our sleep patterns also look different. Our food also look different. And the way that we connect with ourselves and our place and our people and our sense of purpose also looks different at different times of the year. So we have an, a very integrated system here. And I haven't studied Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, but I've heard many people tell me, oh, this looks a lot like what they, those systems teach as well as an integrated approach. Yeah. I mean, the, the principles are right in line with TCM and, and Ayurveda. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, I, and that's why, again, I love it so much. And I love to, one of the things that you're so good at uh, is taking complex topics, but making them simple for people. That's what was so great about Whole30. It's what's so great about your new book. Uh, the, you know, the four season solution is you take these complex topics, you make it simple to where people can apply this to their daily lives. I want to encourage you guys check out Dallas's new books. These are uh, in bookstores nationwide. Um, of course you can find a whole 30 anywhere pretty much, but again, Amazon, your local bookstore, uh, also the four season solution. So make sure to check that out guys. Um, so another thing you hit on, and, and I think, you know, and again, I love these principles so much about sleep, about exercise about the food we eat. Well, let's talk about people for a minute. You know, I know I, and I've, I've heard you talk on this. I know this is something you've, you've hit on in your books is how people matter the most. What role do people in community and connection play in our overall, even our physical health? Yeah, I mean, you know, we know a lot and we're learning a lot more about the value of um, social connections over time in the same way that we're recognizing that sleep is really important, you know, in the last uh, 10 or so years. And if you think about this again from a um, sort of historical perspective, we have always been as humans deeply social cooperative creatures. And we survive well as hunter-gatherers because we work well together. We collaborate, we share ideas, we cooperate and support each other. And we're not actually well-equipped to survive alone. We're not apex predators, you know, the way a, a cougar or a bear would be. Um, and so we need each other. And in the very kind of North American individualistic society, we sort of think, I'm independent, I'm fine, I don't need anybody, I can do it myself. But that's only partly true. And what I encourage people to recognize is that we do need each other. And if we find ourselves socially isolated and lonely, it costs us a tremendous amount in terms of taxing our, our stress response system because forever, for all of human history, a human that found themselves socially isolated and lonely or alone was a human with a really good reason to be stressed. And so we still have that same 
coding in us that if we find ourselves feeling socially isolated, we have a chronic stress response to that, which is why the quality of our social relationships is one of the biggest predictors of our overall health long term. And so it's not just that people matter in terms of romantic relationship or close friends or family. Um, it's that also the larger community matters. Also, we're, we're expanding the scale and we're also contracting the scale because the connection to and having compassion for oneself and knowing yourself and accepting yourself and loving yourself are all facets of those important social connections because it's difficult to have really nourishing, meaningful, deep, intimate social relationships if we don't have some of that with ourselves as well. So it sort of starts here and then we're able to be more present to the people around us. And in the world of moving fast and chronic summer and social media and staying busy and looking like we're happy all the time, um, everywhere we go, we miss that we have the opportunity to form those deep, powerful, vulnerable social connections that make us feel like someone's got our back, like we have someone in our corner on our team. And those are the really settling, healing sensations that decrease stress hormone levels and that also make us feel rooted and grounded and safe. And uh, I think Sigmund Freud said, um, how bold we become when we are certain of being loved or we are sure of being loved. Mm -hmm. And that's such a beautiful idea to me because we become the, the, the most beautiful, biggest versions of ourselves when we feel like we are loved and, and we have a sense of belonging. And so I am advocating for all of us to slow down a little bit, to leave behind that fast moving chronic summer lifestyle and to kind of ease into a more fall and eventually winter kind of way of being in this sort of phasic stepwise way because we're yearning for connection, belonging, gratitude, generosity. Like we're yearning for those fall type experiences that are what we celebrate for one day on Thanksgiving in North America. But those, the, that's such an encapsulation of what we really yearn for more in modern society. And so that sense of belonging, of home, of roots, of family, of belonging, like those are the things we're missing. So it's kind of the opposite of the moving fast, doing it yourself, be successful spring and summer mode. Um, and I'm not saying that that's bad or wrong. I'm saying we do it too long, too much um, for you know extended period of time because everything in their time, everything in their season. Um, so there's the... I'm advocating for more vulnerability, more presence, the gift of one's undivided attention, um, which then opens up doors to really profound connection. I love that. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, as, uh, you know, I know Solomon talks about this a lot in the, the ancient Proverbs really get into, you know, to everything there is a season. Right. And uh, man, it's just so, so important. You know, I was reading a book recently too. It was um, more of a leadership book by Simon Sinek. It's called uh, Infinite... Uh, uh, the infinite game, but he really gets into these sort of like hormones as well. You know, when we're on our, our phones all the time, like there's a certain hormone that it's, it's, it's the same hormone that's released when you're doing a, you know, like, like a drug or something like that. Like it's a short term thing versus mm -hmm. certain other hormones, do dopamine, um, oxytocin, some others too, when you're actually ha having community physical contact. I mean, it, it changes your body hormonally. I mean, these things are so important. So I just love that. And you know, and you look at throughout history, when you sat down and ate with somebody, it was like, an, it was an intimate time. And today, mm -hmm. people are eating while looking at a computer, watching TV, or scrolling through their cell phones and doing it in like 
15 minutes. And we're not realizing, I mean, that's another practice, you know, that's so big, but like taking your meals and taking your time, chewing your food, connecting. But I, I love the idea. I mean, community is so important to our overall health. And this pace of living, Dallas, I just, I love, I love, there's so much wisdom in that for everybody to, to take hold of. You know, I know in the whole 30, you really talk about eating food. You talk about movement. These things are very basic. I would love to hear from you personally. Do, do, do you take sup, supplements? I mean, are there certain vitamin supplements you take regularly? What, what are some of those things? I do. I, um, I do because I'm, I'm kind of the, the um, chronic self-experimenter. So I'm always kind of playing with stuff. Um, so my supplement regimen kind of varies a lot. Yeah. Uh, if I you know, read an interesting paper that suggests that a certain supplement might be good for something, I might try it for a few months. Um, it, it, sometimes I stick with it and sometimes I don't. But my supplement regimen is fairly basic. Um, I think vitamin D3 is absolutely essential, particularly because I don't get enough um, sunshine especially during the kind of spring through fall season um, where, yeah. where I'm able to be outside every single day to consistently synthesize enough of my own. So I supplement there. Um, magnesium, um, like a magnesium glycinate or magnesium citrate is huge. Um, I kind of think about bone broth as a supplement because it's such a, you know, it's Me such too. a broad spectrum kind of mineral and, and vitamin supplement. So it's food, but it's also, you know, sort of superfood in that sense. Um, and so I often start my mornings, um, with, with a cup or two of bone broth, just as like a little extra something, um, depending on what's going on in my life, I'll sometimes take a multivitamin, um, you know, with, it's a really great, um, great formulation, um, vitamin C, zinc, um, kind of like basics. I don't get yeah. too crazy with stuff. Sure. I'm often experimenting with things like carnitine or PQQ or CoQ10 or like, you know, there's lots of sure. stuff that we can do. What's hard with supplements is that um, the research is so kind of conflicting and one paper suggests one thing, one paper suggests something else. And I think I, even though I'm a scientist by training, like many people say, I don't know, is it worth the money? And, and in a lot of cases, I don't actually know what the answer to that is. Yeah. Um, you, you know what I think one of the issues is when you look at supplementation is there are really different supplements that that, that are good for everybody. It's like, I mean, I'll just give you an example. And this, this, some of this is ancient Chinese medicine, but you know, not everybody should be eating salads and vegetable juices. Right. If you have, if, if you've got a liver, gallbladder, if you have a toxicity issue, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. If you've got a digestive issue, vegetable juices and salads are bad for you. So the same totally. goes, you, you can, for some people, vitamin C is yin building in Chinese medicine. Like mm -hmm. it's very, it's, it's nourishing to your immune system. But for other people, actually vitamin C isn't good. Like, so I, I think that's the thing. And that's what I'm, ex I'm excited to see more personalized medicine. Yeah. Founded on Ayurveda and TCM and those sort of things in the future, because I, anyway, that's why I think there's that conflicting data. Yeah. Is you know, one man's food is another man's poison, sort of totally. thing. And that's true with food and supplements, but I think, of course, there are certain foods that tend to be ones that people do well with more year-round. Bone broth, for instance, is probably the you know yeah. I do that as a powder and smoothies, and of course, it's just chicken soup and whatnot. But that's yeah. probably the food I consume the most. I did a recent interview with Joe Mercola. He says he does about 60 grams of bone broth a day, which is like three wow. cups, you know, and, and that with collagen. And so it's, but I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Well, hey, I want to encourage everybody, check out Dallas's new book. It's called The Four Season Solution. Right now it's on amazon.com. It's in bookstores nationwide. The book is awesome. Again, I love, I always love books that are founded on 
timeless principles. I mean, these right. principles will never go old. They've been around since the beginning of time. They're based on absolute truth. And so I want to encourage you guys, get the new book, The Four Season Solutions. And also, hey, feel free to you know pair the book with something like uh, It Starts With Food or The Whole 30. But again, of all the books you've written, I, I love this because I feel like it's, it's very deep. You know, it goes deep into these principles. And so anyways, I want to encourage everybody, check out the new book and want to say, Dallas, hey man, thanks so much for being on the, on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation. Great. Hey, thanks everybody. We'll be back ne next week with another great podcast. Thanks again. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Make sure to go to my recent Instagram post and let me know what your favorite part of the show was. Also, don't forget to follow me at Dr. Josh Axe there on Insta, where I cover the latest health trends, natural medicine, and so much more. Also, if you're loving this podcast, do me a big favor, head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Thanks so much for being on mission with me. See you next week. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice and have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. In some cases, individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein.